Would you stand with me as we read Mark chapter 3, verse 16? <clears throat> wow, what an interesting passage. <clears throat> I love this story. We'll start off with the naming of the disciples. These are the twelve he appointed, he being Christ. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, which means rock. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name uh, Bonerges, uh, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, uh, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. <laughs> and the teachers of the law, verse 22, who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would guide our hearts and open our eyes. Help us to think in the way that you want us to think. In Christ, and we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, Planting Seeds and Burning Bridges. Planting Seeds and Burning Bridges. We are most capable of doing both, but not at the same time. Online recently, I discovered a wonderful article entitled, 10 Christian Missionaries Every Christian Should Know. And then it lists 10 missionaries. <clears throat> I selected one of them. According to the article, uh, the missionary's name is Jim Elliott, and some of you may be familiar with him. They made a movie about his missionary journey. Jim and Elizabeth Elliott met as students at Wheaton College in Illinois. Jim was a young man whose heart was on fire for God to be known among the unreached, who was inspired by several missionaries over the years, such as David Bernard, William Carey, and Amy Carmichael. He convinced his four friends to join him as missionaries in reaching the Akua Indians in the Curry River in Ecuador. In 1956, all five missionaries were killed. They were martyred by the tribe. Later, his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, went, strangely enough, to go live among the very tribe that killed her husband and shared the gospel with them. The tribe came to faith in Jesus Christ. It transformed the tribe. But more than that, their lives continue to impact countless Christians all over the globe to this day. Many would have considered their mission a waste of time, a foolish endeavor, and that their deaths were a wasted death or a wasted life. But what does God think of her, their sacrifice? He could have had it go a different way. He allowed it to go that way. What does God think of those who kill missionaries? I think that's an interesting question. Today we begin a new series from the second season of The Chosen. For those of you who are unfamiliar with The Chosen, it's a crowd-funded series, uh, video series based on the ministry of Jesus and his calling of his 12 disciples. I want us to notice a few important things about today's passage uh, as we uh, look at this series. And I'm going to be taking, like I did for the first season, I'm going to be taking excerpts from the series. 
Now, those who, who produce the series, the, the Chosen, and by the way, one of the producers is a member here at First Baptist Church. He and his family, or most of his family, were in the early service. Some of them are still here in the late service as well. But um, I, I said to you last year, and I'll say to you about season two, this is a series about the life of Christ and his disciples, but we don't have a comprehensive uh, description of everything that happened in fact, in what we read today about the naming of the disciples, there's a lot we know and there's a lot we don't know. And so when you make a video or a movie about the life of Christ or the life of the disciples, uh, we don't know what their outfit looks, looks like and we don't know everything that's said and done. We just have an outline of their ministry through Christ in what we have in the four gospels of the New Testament. There are so many questions that I have. I can't wait to get to heaven be there side by side with Scott asking the, the apostles about this event or that miracle or that day in the life or that moment they heard that Jesus was resurrected or them watching him ascend into heaven. I have so many questions about what they saw and experienced that we don't have specifically stated in the Bible. Some we do, much we don't. And so as a result, the video series, The Chosen, has had to extrapolate uh, best best they can based on the character of Jesus and the character of the disciples. Many of the scenes are straight out of the New Testament. Some of them, though, they're, they're making best guesses as they can to paste it all together in a flowing video series. So there is uh, some creative license there. So don't get too uptight. I'm going to show you a clip this morning. We don't know exactly how it went down. We're guessing it may have gone down this way, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But it is a fascinating scene. It's certainly in the character of his disciples in the character of Christ that you will see today. So as we look at this passage, I want us to notice a few important things from these verses. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know why I have a tendency to do this. I'm going to take it and go backwards. I'm going to go to the end and work my way up to the top. And I, I know why I do this, because what happens third and what happens second, it, it gives, gives us insight as to what happened first and why it happened that way. So we're going to go to the end. And the first thing you need to know is <clears throat> you and I need to know what is from God and what is from Satan. When we turn on our TVs, when we go onto the internet, when we have conversations with people, when we read a book, or when we share something on social media or have a conversation with somebody, we need to know what is from God and what is from Satan. Because what you don't want to do is to do something or say something that's right from the heart of Satan. You don't want to do that, by the way. You don't want to do that, do you? No. The answer is no. You don't want to do that. <laughs> Seem to be some confusion. <laughs> you don't want to say something that's right from the heart of Satan, but you don't want, especially don't want to do something that's right from the heart of Satan and think in your heart and claim it's right from the heart of Christ. That's what we're going to see today. You need to know what is from God and what is from Satan. Look with me in Mark chapter 3, verse 22. Our passage for today, the very last verse, says, and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by who? Beelzebub. That's my translation. I like that word, Beelzebub. 
<laughs> it's just very descriptive. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Well, I don't want to say that the Pharisees are stupid, but that's a stupid thing to say. You know, men, sometimes we, th we say stupid things. That's got to be on the top of the list, historically, uh, of stupid things to say. Driving out demons uh, because of, or through Satan. So here's what happened. The disciples were in a pickle. You ever been in a pickle? A quagmire. Jesus started teaching in his ministry. Thousands flocked to him because his ministry, his teachings were coupled with miracles. And they were genuine miracles, amazing miracles. And so they're flocking to Jesus and he's teaching them. And the problem that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day had was Jesus was teaching people things that were contrary to what the Pharisees and Sadducees were teaching. He was teaching things doctrinally different than what the religious leaders of the day were teaching. And the reason was the religious leaders of the day were just wrong. They were just outright wrong. They had taken what God had taught in the Old Testament, those laws, those regulations, those teachings, and they had warped that and manipulated it into a religious system that it was not intended to be. Instead of God being on top, it was really the Pharisees and Sadducees that were on top. And they were just making up rules and they were equating their made up rules with that of Old Testament scripture. And they couldn't tell a difference, honestly. They didn't see a difference. You had the word of God and you had the word of the religious teachers and they equated those two. And from that, they developed a warped religion. They warped and, and manipulated Judaism into something it was never intended to be. So Jesus comes along and he clarifies. He simply time and again says, actually, that's not what it says or that's not what it means. Here's what the word of God actually means. And so he's, he's correcting the Pharisees and they have big egos. They don't like that. There's a big problem though. And it's these miracles that he's doing because the Pharisees, because they're frauds, they're not doing any miracles. First of all, they don't care about people. They just care about themselves. But they, they, they're at a total count of zero miracles. And Jesus is performing miracle after miracle after miracle. And did you notice in this passage what they didn't say? They didn't say, listen, people, this Jesus guy, his miracles are all fake. They don't say that. They don't say, you know, those crippled people that he healed, those blind people, those lepers, the people that he resurrected from the dead, that stuff didn't happen. He hired those people. It's all a production. You know, if there was any possible way they could say that, they would have said that because they hated him. They wanted to discredit, them, uh, discredit him, but they couldn't say those things because the miracles that Jesus was doing was so obvious. You can't feed 5,000 people, let alone 10 or 15,000 people on the side of a hill and produce bread and fish out of thin air. You can't, you can't manufacture that. You can't make that kind of production happen. It was a miracle. And so Jesus is performing these miracles and even the Pharisees cannot refute that. And so what do they do? They, since they can't refute the miracles themselves, they, they try to refute the motivation or the power behind those miracles. 
And so they, it left them no other choice than to say this really stupid thing. Well, he's driving out demons in the name of demons, or he's driving out the devil in the name of the devil. Of course, you remember Jesus' response. He says, a city divided against itself cannot stand. Uh, in other words, and then he says, you, you, you cannot drive out demons in the name, or Satan in the name of Satan. It just can't happen. Why would he do that? It's counterproductive. It was just a foolish thing to say, but that's why they were saying it, because they hated Jesus. So it leads us to an important observation this morning. Oh, listen to me. Don't write me off too quick. Here's the observation. Don't expect Jesus to endorse our evil plans. Now, I know you, you think that your plans aren't evil. They're righteous, and my plans aren't evil either. They're righteous, but you would be surprised. Because almost every evil that is done under the sun by every person and every nation is done in the name of righteousness. They believe that they are, they're doing what's godly or whatever. And so we have to be very careful. Uh, don't expect Jesus to endorse our evil plans. And by the way, if your plans are not God's plans, they're evil. <laughs> because God's plans are good. And if you have a plan B, C, D, E, F, that's not God's plan. That's an evil plan because God's not a part of it. God's not neutral. He's not, he's not going to say, all right, you do my plan. Or if you've got a better idea, go ahead and do that. There's no better idea. <laughs> God plan or evil plans. So I know what you may be thinking. What I'm often thinking, my plans, of, my plans are, it can't be evil. My plans are good. The plans of others, that's evil, <laughs> says everyone who ever existed. Of course, we know that Jesus doesn't do evil. And so it is impossible for him to cast out those demons and do something evil in the name of something evil because he can't do evil. He's God incarnate. God is the very definition of good and all that he does is good. Yet people do so many things in the name of Jesus that Jesus wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. This week, I went to my monthly Azel Ministerial Alliance luncheon. We have, we have a lunch once a month. The other pastors in town and, and uh, ministry leaders, we get together and we eat because that's what we like to do. And we talk and we have a guest speaker come. And this week, or this month, our guest speaker was... A, um, a local individual here in the Azel area, and he's very active in the pro-life movement. In fact, he and others with him go to the uh, abortion clinics, and they stand outside of the abortion clinics. And he shared with us what their goal is and objective is, and he says there's really two groups of people who are protesting at the abortion clinic. In fact, his group, he said there's one group, they go there and they, they take a megaphone with them and they yell, Condemning words, you know, murderer, those sorts of things through the megaphone. And so as the people get out of their cars and they're walking to the front, they have that megaphone and they're yelling at them, condemning condescending statements. They're protesters. He said his group is not like that. They, they, he said, we've learned over the years that doesn't work. Nobody ever hears that condemning statement, those condemning statements, and they just turn around and leave. They go, oh, I guess I won't have an abortion. It doesn't do any good. 
It just makes the one with the megaphone feel righteous. That's all that really does. He said, what we've learned to do is when people show up, they try their best, they pray for them, and they try their best to engage them in a caring, gentle conversation to let them know that they are loved and that there is another alternative. And they found that to be far more productive. But I guarantee those people who are there shouting through the megaphone, not convincing anybody, they feel that what they're doing is what God wants them to do. They feel it's got the stamp of approval by God, whether it is good or it is evil. We have to be very careful about what we do so passionately, what we say so passionately, what we post so passionately, is it really of God? Because if you put the stamp of God on that, it better be of God and not from somewhere else. So what about us? What would you like Jesus to do today? I know this is silly, but I'm gonna say it. If Jesus were to come down right now, right in front of you, look you in the eye and say, I'll do one thing that you would like me to do today. Name it, I'll do it. What would that be? It's rhetorical, don't, don't tell me. <laughs> what an interesting thought. Jesus came down and he says, today I'm like Aladdin's a genie. Aladdin's the lamp. Just, just one time, I'm gonna do whatever you ask. You call it, you name it. I'm gonna do that. Wow. Well, I will admit, even though that's silly, it's not gonna happen, by the way. Don't, don't look for him coming in the door there. I will admit, there are some things I would very much like to see Jesus do today. I've got a list. I see the chaos that's being created in our country and in our government by those who clearly don't follow Christ, clearly don't follow Christ and have no fear of God. I would like to seek God initiate Operation Clean Sweep and clear out our country of these evil people. They are unworthy of him. And they are. I would not mind seeing a little fire fall from heaven and consume, well, at least a few of them. This week, the Taliban swept through Afghanistan like evil terrorists, which they are, forcing people into their oppressive and cruel way of life, killing many in their path. If I were honest, I wouldn't mind seeing God send fire from heaven to consume every one of them. As COVID continues to take uh, lives and disrupt our planet, I'd like to see a certain nation in their lab where it was cooked up be forced to take responsibility for what they've done to this world. Communism is as oppressive as the Taliban and China's prisons are filled with Christian pastors and missionaries. And what North Korea does to Christians is even worse. I wouldn't mind seeing fire brought down from heaven on those evil governments. Would it not be tempting to say to Jesus, just this once, you see the evil. Why don't you bring down fire and take care of it? I find myself asking that, wondering sometimes, why does God permit this to happen? We're in good company. There were prophets in the Old Testament that asked God the same question. So why doesn't he? What's he waiting for? 
Jesus was in Samaria, and by the way, that is my mindset very often in ours. Jesus was in Samaria on at least a few occasions because Galilee, where Jesus spent most of his ministry, Capernaum, was up north. Israel is a tall, skinny country. It's, it's very narrow. And down south is Jerusalem. So Sea of Galilee, Capernaum up north, Jerusalem down south. And if you want to go from up north to down south, if you want to go from Capernaum to Jerusalem, there's only two ways, only two ways you can get there, unless you have a big boat. You can go down right through Israel, but that will cause you to go through a region called Samaria. Now, Samaria was full of Samaritans. Samaritans were hated by the Jews uh, and, and they hated the Jews back. They didn't like each other. Samaritans were part Jews and part something else. They were half-breeds as you were. And so there was this kind of racism that happened, not because of skin color, but because of religious beliefs there in Israel. So they didn't like each other much. And so the righteous Jews didn't go down through Samaria. They went across the Jordan River and went down on the east side of the Jordan, what is today modern day Jordan, the, the nation of Jordan. They went down and then when they got to the bottom, they crossed over the Jordan just north of the Dead Sea and then they would go over to Jerusalem. That way they didn't have to have anything to do with those awful dog Samaritans. And they saw them as dogs. The Samaritans didn't care for Jews anyway, so they either, so they were more than happy for the Jews to go around. But of course, Jesus didn't do that. That wasn't his style. He loved everybody. And so when it came time to go down to Jerusalem, he's not going around. Why would he go around? There's people there. Remember the woman at the well? A Samaritan woman. He ministered to her, changed her whole life. She went in and shared the gospel with so many, one of his first, maybe his first missionary, really. She just went in town and sharing about what Jesus said and did to her and for her life with everybody she encountered. What an amazing miracle that was, that change of her life there at the well. So that's in Samaria. Um, I want you to notice in today's passage, the names of the disciples uh, that uh, were read while ago. Did you notice of the 12 disciples, three of the disciples had their name changed by Jesus? Now we know about Peter, his name was changed, or Simon, his name was changed to Peter. And we have a recording of that event in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. You can look at that up on your own time where Jesus changed his name and you will now be called Peter the Rock. But the other two disciples had their name changed by Jesus. We don't have a recording of that exact event, but we do know who they were, James and John. We do know their character and we know the new name that Jesus gave them. And while we don't know for sure what that event was, it might've looked something like this. Watch this. Rabbi, well, you couldn't wait, could you? We're sorry, we just uh, wanted to clear a few things up, if that's okay. By all means. You Jewish boys are far from home. Yes, as a matter of fact, we are. Shalom to you too. Here's our traditional Jewish greeting for you. Don't lift a finger. That was a warning. Try it again and see what happens. Quiet, Big James. Shalom to you too. You filthy dogs! I said quiet.
us do something. And what would that achieve? Defending your honor. They reviled and humiliated you. They deserve to have bolts of lightning rain down and incinerate them. Yes, fire from the heavens. Fire? You said we could do things like that. Say the word and it will happen. Why not? We knew we couldn't trust these people. We shouldn't have come here in the first place. They don't deserve you. Why do you think I had you work, Melexfield? What was I trying to teach you? To, to help? You think it was just to be more helpful? Or to be better farmers? It was to show you that what we're doing here will last for generations. What I told Fotina at the well, and what she then told so many others, it's sowing seeds that will have a lasting impact for lifetimes. Can you not see what's happening here? These people that you hate so much are believing in me without even seeing miracles. It's the message, the truth that we're giving them. And you're going to get in the way of that because a few people from a region you don't like were mean to you. That they're not worthy? What, you're so much better? You're more worthy? Well, let me tell you something. You're not. That's the whole point. It's why I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Rabbi. As we gather others, I need you to help show the way. To be humble. We will. You wanted to use the power of God to bring down fire, to burn these people up? Well, it sounds a lot worse when you say it that way. like a storm on the sea. Come on. Thunder exploding out of your chests at every turn. <laughs> In fact, that's what I'm going to call you from now on. James and John, the sons of thunder. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, uh, that was exactly the attitude of the Pharisees. It was the, exactly the attitude of the disciples. And it's our attitude as well. You see, if it were not for the mercy of God, we are no more worthy than the Democrats. We're no more worthy than China. And you and I are no more worthy than the Taliban. It is his mercy in our life. You see, we have been privileged to know the name of Jesus and to know who that is and what he did for us on the cross. And there are many people in this world, even in the 21st century, who know nothing about Jesus. They don't know that they're loved by him. They don't know about redemption, salvation, forgiveness. They don't know about his mercy. But we do. The truth is, you and I have no control over Jesus. He's not going to come down, 
We can't rub a lamp. And he's not going to do what we, told, we tell him to do. But you can ha let him have control over you. The disciples constantly wanted to use Jesus for their purposes. What did they want to use Jesus for, by the way? What did they want him for? The what? All right, I, I heard two people. What? All right, bring down the fire. And they wanted Jesus to bring down the fire on whoever they didn't like. That's exactly right. Most Jews, including the disciples, had big plans for Jesus to bring down fire on the Romans. They wanted to over, they, they had a military plan, a military coup, and Jesus was going to make it happen for them. See, they had plans for Jesus. And they had to learn over years that their plans don't matter. That they needed to be thinking in a different term of what Jesus' plans were for them. And it's the same for you and I. In uh, Luke chapter 15, Jesus told the beautiful parable about the prodigal son. This son took his inheritance early, ran off and wasted it all. He found himself living in squalor and misery. He finally came to his senses in Luke chapter 15, verse 21. He went back to his father and the son said to him, it says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer, here's the word, worthy to be called your son. See, God humbled him. And he realized he didn't deserve that inheritance. He didn't deserve to be called a son of his father. It was the mercy of his father alone. And that's what we have to come to as well. So how can we show worthiness to God this week? Well, I want you to look with me. And this is a beautiful passage. These guys that you just saw, James and John, and the other disciples, now apostles, have learned their lesson. Look with me in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. This is Peter and the apostles. They had been tried by the religious leaders of the day. Uh, they had been released and told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And what did they do? They went out and immediately started speaking in the name of Jesus. So they were rounded up, brought back. And here's what happened in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. Oh, uh, uh, get off of that. Uh, go back. All right. Thanks. Sorry. I got to tell the story. And you're just going to look at those words and spoil the spoiler alert here. So they send the disciples out. They don't know what to do with them. These are the religious leaders. And they're, they're talking amongst each other and they're saying, my goodness, they, they won't shut up. What are we going to do with them? But Because they're doing miracles or God's doing miracles through them as well. And the people respect them and they're following them. And if they make martyrs out of them, it's going it's to all crash on them. And they don't want to do that. So they were, again, in a quagmire. So one of the older Pharisees, a guy named Gamaliel, he stands up and he makes this interesting speech. I don't have time to, to read the whole speech to you, but he basically says this. He says, you know, there are other guys that came and they claim to be the Messiah before Jesus in, within 20 years of the life of Jesus. And uh, they even named one or two of them. And then they said, you know, this guy came along. One guy's name was Judas. He said, it's different Judas. He claimed to be the Messiah, that he was killed and all of his followers ran away. And then another guy came along, he claimed to be the Messiah and uh, he was killed and all of his followers. He said, this guy's no different, this Jesus guy. If, if he was 
just like these other guys, don't worry about it. We don't have to do anything. Those, those religions fizzled out and so will this one. But then he said, interestingly, however, if it's legit, doesn't really matter what you and I do. We're not gonna squash it no matter what. If they could only realize that thousands of years later, millions or even billions of people are gathering today to worship the name of Jesus. And so they just had this conversation. They said, okay, all right, it sounds good. Let's do that. And then they called the disciples back in. So that's where we are in Acts 540. All right, now go, to, go back to the verse. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. It worked out so well last time. They do the same thing again, and then they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So here's what happened. They don't know what to do with them, so they just beat them anyway. <laughs> and by the way, when you're talking about a scourging, these are bloody whippings and they would have borne the scars of that whipping for the rest of their life. So when they go out, they're bleeding, literally bleeding. They're in pain. But are they mad? If that happened to you or me, again, oh my goodness, it'd be in news all over the world. We were beaten. We'd show pictures, graphic details. We'd give them a doctor's report. We'd write a book, go on Oprah. You know, we'd make the circuit. It'd be a living for the rest of our life. We'd be famous. These guys don't do any of that. They instead walk out because they weren't victims at all. It says, verse 41, because they learned the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They'd just been beaten and they couldn't have been happier. They're on cloud nine, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What is the name? Jesus. That's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. They don't walk out of there saying, God, bring down fire on these people. Let them have it. They're awful. We hate them. There was none of that. None of that. They were at peace because they stopped trying to use Christ for their own purposes and asked only that they be used by Christ for his. What do you want with Jesus today? I want you to notice one more thing very quickly and we'll go. It's in our passage for today because I read to you the end and then I read to you the, or told you about the beginning where he named the disciples, the end of the passage where the Pharisees were uh, claiming he drove out demons in the name of Satan. But right in the middle, there's this really interesting verse. This is Mark chapter three, verse 20. It says, then Jesus entered a house and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for it. They said, he is out of his mind. <laughs> he, I, I just love that. First of all, you and I all have that family member, <laughs> that relative, the crazy one. You know, they come to the Christmas thing, they cause a scene. Somebody has to pull them aside and say, no, don't, you can't say that. You can't talk about that. Please stop they're embarrassing everybody. They're they're, you all have that one relative. Well, apparently Jesus' family thinks it's him. 
<laughs> because it says they, they said he's out of his mind. Now, what on earth is happening where they think that Jesus is crazy? I'll tell you what's happening. He is, he, he's, he's now famous. People are flocking because they've seen the miracles and there are people flocking to that house that day because they needed a miracle. They were wounded or they were injured or lame or blind or, or whatever is going on. They need healing. And they've heard there's somebody in this land can actually do miracles. They're there for their miracle. Other, people's don't need a, or other people don't need a miracle. They're going to the house to see because they want to see a miracle. Even though it won't be them, they want to, others want to hear what he has to say. So whatever reason people are flocking there, he and his disciples go into a house, they sit down to have dinner. They're probably hungry. They're trying to have a meal. And the Bible says that there were so many people that packed into the house, they couldn't even eat dinner. That's it. That's what the family heard. They heard the report, Jesus is here, can't even eat dinner because there's so many people in the house. And their, their conclusion, oh, he's crazy. <laughs> he has lost it. You know why they thought that way? Now, it doesn't say who the family members were, whether it was Mary or his brothers or sisters, probably brothers and sisters, uh, cousins, you know, people had big families back then. We don't know who they were. But obviously, this is what they apparently were thinking. It's just Jesus. It's just our brother. It's just our cousin. It's just Jesus. Here he, apparently, they think he's somebody. There's a big misunderstanding here because they're all going to this house and they're going to find out it's just Jesus and they're going to be mad. We better get him out of there before somebody hurts him, before somebody finds out the truth. They don't have a clue. Now, here's what I find particularly interesting about this little verse. It's not the he's out of his mind. Or, and maybe, by the way, you're the one that your family thinks is out of their mind. You're that one that has to pull over every, every Christmas, pull aside. Here's what it says. It says, when his family heard about this, listen, they went to take charge of him. What does that even mean? They're going to take charge of him? Well, you know, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And then it goes on to talk about how the universe, all things were created through him and for him. That is, they're going to this house, the family of Jesus, to confront the creator of the universe so that they can do what? They're going to take charge of him. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the saddest statement in the whole Bible. But you know, I'm not sure we're any better. We want to take charge of him. And I told you, and I know I set you up earlier. Oh, Jesus, if only you would ask me what to do. I know what to do. Bring down the fire. Get rid of this country or that political party or that, that evil group or that dictator. We have big plans. Listen, don't ever think that you can take charge of Jesus. Because God is in charge He's in control, not mostly, not partly. He doesn't need your help or my heart, help to be in control. And here's the difference. You see, God knows what's going to happen in a year, in a hundred years, in a hundred million years. He's seen every detail of the future. He knows how it's going to work out. So those missionaries that are in prison in China right now, God may well see into the future and already has seen that what they did 
the life that they sacrificed in the name of Jesus will transform entire nations. Millions, if not billions of people may come to Christ because of what they're suffering right now. And we ask God, why don't you bring the fire? God has bigger plans than retaliation. He has plans of transformation. See, we think it very, in a very temporal way because that's all we can see right here, right now. God has seen it all and is in control of all of it. And God doesn't need our advice. He doesn't need us going to him and say, God, you should do this and bring this and fix that and change that. Listen, God doesn't need you or me for anything. He's in control and we need to trust him for that. Now, I think it's a good thing to lift up missionaries, by the way, and pastors, don't forget pastors. Do that. But you allow God to take control and just say, Lord, we love them. And we pray that you're glorified in their life. May their, I'm so thankful every one of these disciples ended up giving their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what a pleasure it was, they considered it an honor to die for Christ, to suffer for, them, for him. So now, what does Jesus want to do through you today? Like the disciples, I think Christ would say, he wants us to stop burning bridges and calling for judgment and start planting seeds that will transform this world. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for this, this beautiful passage. How Christ had to put up with people calling him evil. What a bizarre thing to do. Calling the very author of good evil. He had to put up with family members who wanted to control him. I pray you would forgive us for we have tried to take charge of Jesus. Help us to humble ourselves as the disciples had to learn. And we stop asking Jesus, Lord, this is what you can do for me today. This is what I need today. This is what I want today. This is what I want you to do today. And we start asking, Lord, how can you use me today? What do you want me to do in your name for your glory and your kingdom? Father, forgive us for our attitudes have been the same as that of James and John, th sons of thunder. Texans are just like that. We have this, this fire in our heart. And I pray, Father, that you would use that for your glory and not for ours. That we wouldn't go around burning bridges, angering people, turning them off to the gospel. Forgive us where we've been condescending, hateful, and claiming it is in your name. We thank you for your mercy in our life. Thank you for saving us. Thank you. It is by your mercy that we ever heard the name Jesus. And then we heard about what he did for us. We didn't earn that or deserve that. It is by your grace that we were able to hear and respond to the gospel. We pray your will is done on earth as it is in heaven in this day and in every day. We do pray for our missionaries and pastors and religious leaders, Christians throughout the world who are right now being persecuted 
some of them in prison, some of them being killed for their faith. But Father, we know that you're in control. We lift them up to you. We know they are loved by you and that you have plans for them. And we ask only that you are glorified through them. I pray right now that you would ease their suffering, that you would draw them to you, that you would fill them with your peace and with your joy and your will be done. We ask and pray the same for us, that you be glorified through us right now. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you today? Are you really trying to take charge of Jesus? Have you been trying to do that? That you will come to Christ right now. I challenge you to come to Christ and say, Lord, I've been trying to take charge of you. I ask only that you take charge of me. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. And maybe God is calling you to come to faith in Christ, to make a public decision, to come down and say, Pastor, I want to surrender my life to Christ. Or God is calling you or your family to join with this church and serve the kingdom here. Just come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Or maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray and thank God for his mercy in your life. If God is leading right now, this invitation is for you. Would you stand? All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. Everyone stand. Right now, you come.